Hello and welcome back to the Geeks at the Gates. Thank you so much for joining us. We are going to get straight back into our discussion of the 11th Doctor's tenure in Doctor Who. We finished last week with the excellent episode Vincent and the Doctor, which is often held up as one of the best episodes of Doctor Who ever. And we're starting this week with The Lodger, which, to be kind, is not. Anyway, quick blast on the spoiler horn. We'll get straight back into it. Spoilers throughout. Spoilers! Spoilers! And so then we move on. <laughs> the Lodger. Oh, ha, ha, are you okay? I'm going to let someone else feel this one. <laughs> See... Do I take it you're not a fan? I dislike James Corden in a deep, deep way. Ha, if you were in person, I'd shake your hands or give you a massive hug for that, because agreement. See, I don't really mind James Corden, particularly. I, I wouldn't say I was a fan, but I don't think he's terrible in this. Alice seems to hate him more than me. <laughs> um, I just, I, I, I'm you know still... What? If he wasn't famous, if he wasn't James Corden, if <laughs> if Craig if Craig was just an actor who we didn't know, would the episode still be as bad? Probably not. Um, the episode, I mean... It's just, yeah, it's his persona. It's just the James Corden persona. Face mould on the ceiling, um, Doctor Who playing football. That was a fun way of showing that Matt Smith used to play football until he hurt his legs and couldn't play football anymore and would have been a professional footballer otherwise, wasn't it? Um, yeah, that was that was that was kind of Matt Smith's version of Peter Capaldi's guitar, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like Peter Capaldi's guitar better for what it's worth. Yes. Same. Agreement. Total agreement. And I love Eleven. Eleven is my doctor, but yeah, total agreement there. I, I, I don't know. It's just such a ah oh, dear me. It's funnily funnily enough. I watched the Ashes to Ashes episode that has the same actress in it today. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, she's the one that ends up marrying James Gordon in Doctor Who. Poor woman. She doesn't ever seem to get a role. That isn't He's cool. batting very much above his average there. I would have said, isn't he? Bless him. But yeah, I don't know. It's such a weird episode. I I kind of like the concept of the bad creature being an AI that's gone rogue and is trying to it's just murdering people trying to get back into space. Again, it's not an actual monster, it's just like it's broken software. Yeah, it's malfunctioning, that's all. <laughs> I kind of love that part of it. Again, it's like... It's false these... software that's been buggered up by a recent update. <laughs> that, that anyone, bearing in mind the technical issues I've been having over the last couple of recording sessions, I can completely relate. You aren't stealing children or people and murdering them, though, as a result. <laughs> that you know of. That would, be know. The most, that would be the most messed up piece of software or malware <laughs> known to man. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I think that's not that bad. I think I, I like the weird contraption he builds from a broken brolly. That's, again, a lovely bit of prop work. I don't know. Mm. It's such a nothing episode. Again, just not helped by the fact that but it's not helped by James Corden's presence. It's really not. It's yeah. So I think on reflection, shall we move on to a good episode? Yeah. Yeah, let's. Because otherwise I'm going to go on a rant as to why I don't like James. I don't hate... I'm sure he's a lovely person, but I just don't like him. Really. Fair, 
I I'm sure he's not a lovely person, but never mind. The Pandorica opens. The Pandorica opens. Yay! This has River Song. It has River Song. This has River Song. <gasps> so automatically good. Also, sorry, but for me, Matt Smith's best speech as Doctor Who. Really? What? Hello, Stonehenge. I love that speech. No, for me, his best speech is yet to come. Okay. But no, I love... Hello, Stonehenge! Who takes the Pandorica takes the universe. But bad news, everyone! Because guess who? Ha! They sent you lot. You're all whizzing about. It's really very distracting. Could you all just stay still a minute? Because I am talking! Now, the question of the hour is, who's got Pandorica? Answer, I do. Next question, who's coming to take it from me? Come on! Look at me. No plan, no backup, no weapons worth a damn. Oh, and something else I don't have. Anything to lose. So... If you're sitting up there in your silly little spaceship with all your silly little guns and you've got any plans on taking the Pandorica tonight, just remember who's standing in your way. Remember, every black day I ever stopped you. And then, and then, do the smart thing. Let somebody else try first. I I love that. And I I love the, the... Let someone else go first. I love that. Oh, I like I like it a lot. I really enjoy I'm, it. I like this episode in so many ways, and the one that follows it, I think, is phenomenal. The and one that follows it, the one that the one that follows it has the best cold open of any Doctor Who, I think. At least my favourite cold open of any Doctor Who. Yeah. No. Uh, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. No, that's not. So let's put the Doctor in a box first. Yeah. River Song turns up with the warning about the Pandorica. Said to contain the most feared creature in the universe. Yep. And I remember sort of speculating at the time, like, what could it be? Is it Daleks? Yeah. And the thing is, of course, we'd had previously, we'd had the the orb that had contained Daleks, hadn't we? Yeah. And and so everyone was like, oh, it can't be Daleks because we've had that in a box before. And I'm sure that was the bluff. I'm sure, I'm sure, like, our minds were supposed to go there. And then we were supposed to think, no, that must be a red herring because they've just done it. And then we were supposed to think, oh, but that's what they want us to think. (laughs) <laughs> again it is a beautiful piece of set work like it's a stunning design it's it's an absolutely gorgeous thing and then they bring in all the monsters as well and the whole you know yeah the juxtaposition of the idea of under stonehenge there's a cave with a big beautiful box in it and then all the monsters are there as well you know and you get this like all these very technologically advanced creatures against the background of something which is so old we don't know what it's for um, I think that's kind of nice, that idea of like history and future coming together is everything that Doctor Who is in one visual. Um, yeah. And I really appreciate that. Uh, it, I think it's... Yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's like they, they boiled down Doctor Who and this is the essence. To one scene. Yeah. <laughs> it's just phenomenal. Alice Kingston's great in it. Matt Smith's great in it. Rory the Roman is great in it. I really like Rory the Roman. I didn't understand it at the time. I love him. I, I love the idea that he's been there forever. Yeah, yeah. He has been giving people unrealistic, unrealistic, un, put my teeth back in, unrealistic boyfriend expectations. 
since the first century. But, you know, <laughs> apart from that. And actually, do you know what? Rory the Roman is the essence of Rory also. 100%. Completely loyal, completely faithful, completely devoted, completely prepared to do whatever it has to be done in order to look after Amy, which, again, I really like because you don't often get that representation in popular fiction. Normally, it's the other way around. It's the devoted girlfriend. That's a really yeah. common trope. Yeah. You, you don't get that level of, of devotion in a, in a boyfriend, in a male character, unless it's played for laughs, which Rory is not. No, he's not. He's utterly earnest. And I think it's a really lovely thing yeah. to have that character in existing. Yeah. I mean, and I Amy... think it's a really positive thing. I think it's a really good positive representation for, you know, you don't have to be Mr. Macho yeah. Nobed Amy... and your wife waits at home for you. You can be Rory the Roman. Yeah. He's Amy's fabulous. Clearly, clearly dominant in that relationship. But Rory's yes, not... Rory yeah, Rory's not... <laughs> Rory's not henpecked and he's not a victim yeah. and he's not a joke. Yeah. And he's not weak. Oh, no. It's just the way their relationship works. That's just the dynamic that they have. And I, I love that representation. I think it's great. It's lovely. I do. I love Rory a lot. Um, yeah. In fact, I, I don't think of Amy and Rory as separate companions. I don't think Amy stands on her own in any way at all. In, and neither does Rory. They are Amy and Rory. I don't think anybody views it any other way. I don't think. They're both... And I wonder just as a unit. Yeah, yeah, they the are. Ponds. They are. They, they are, are the just ponds. a. They are the ponds. Hello, ponds. Come along, ponds. You know, and he, oh. and him going. It's that's not how it works for the entire next season. Whatever <laughs> it gets called, Rory Pond. I just think is great because it's like no, that's exactly how it works. And he like admits it at one point, and he's like, yeah, that's exactly how it works. <laughs> Um, it's great. No, I, I think this episode's fantastic, and you, you know, you get all the things. And then, of course, Rory, um, his programming betrays him, and Amy goes in the box, which we don't discover until the next episode. Yes. Now, the Big yes. Bang. Oh, yes. Right, now, first of all, my favourite cold open of any Doctor Who. We get to see Amelia again, and then the Pandorica opens, and I was not expecting to see Amy. Yeah. Was anybody else expecting to see Amy? No, I was expecting to see the Doctor. How, yeah, exactly. So was I. He goes in the box. And so I thought that was that was a just a lovely bait and switch. And also the Natural History Museum with the Daleks in it, the stone Daleks. Everything had become medusified. It was great. Yeah. I love a little bit of a medusified vacation. Yeah. Gotta love some Medusa. <laughs> So everything's turned to stone and you know she's skipping past it in typical Emilio fashion with a with a drink of pop <laughs> post-its stuff all over the place and yeah just a really nice sneaky little introduction mm. and then we get of course the chaos but it's good chaos and again love a bit of chaos uh, yeah with River Song of course uh, chaotically chaoting everywhere yeah, this just felt like and a really... the Fez. Yes. Intro of the Fez. It's a Fez. I wear a Fez now. Fezes are cool. And then uh... she shoots it. <laughs> yeah, I do love that the Fez became a thing, though. But no, I, I thought this, this episode was just... It was a perfect season finale because it, it was hugely high-octane. It tied up all the loose ends and left us... Well, left me, at least, wanting more. 
Yeah, hundred percent. It, it did. It did. Uh, also, you you got that whole thing of all the little moments that you weren't sure of that came back. Mm. You know, remember the story I told you. You know, all of those things, those little little bits that we thought that were odd. You know, things that you could have thought were a a wardrobe mistake, like when the doctor speaks to Amy in the uh, in the forest on the crash ship and he's not wearing his jacket and previously he was wearing his jacket you can think of that as you're watching it along as a continuity error yeah it's not he goes back in time to speak to her at that point yeah it's him from that time all these cunning little moments that were just salt and pepper through the whole thing um um, to give you the big finish so that she did remember and so that they could old new borrowed blue the doctor oh god i love I love that speech at Amy's wedding. It was beautiful. Raggedy man, I remember you, and you are life for my wedding! That's just, oh, goosebumps. I love that so much. I really loved that episode. I loved it a lot. And the fact that everyone came back, and the crack was sealed, and all of that was just, yeah, it was It was a perfect, tied it up, put a bow on it, put it on a shelf, it's done, it's perfect. And it, it made very little actual sense, but it was brilliant. And why should it make sense? I was going to say, again, it's a perfect example. Something that future showrunners could do well to remember. It doesn't actually have to make sense. What in, we call it in D&D is the rule of cool. Is it cool? Yeah, do it. And I think in a lot of ways, sometimes science fiction falls afoul of its need to be sciencey, And sometimes it falls afoul of its failure to be sciencey. And you've kind of got to walk a really thin tightrope where you don't do stupid stuff like kill you know, the moon. Kill the moon. Um, but also, oh. it's okay, Alice. We're not there yet. It's fine. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you've kind of not got to fall afoul of the sciencey stuff that way. You could do the magical stuff though, that's fun and beautiful and actually good. <laughs> you know, like like this. He stayed in existence because she remembered him. Yeah. Why? Who cares? It's brilliant. Because it's, it's, it's it actually doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because it's good. I don't care. <laughs> It's it's like the ending of Peter Pan. I, I Tinkerbell exists because we believe in fairies. Brilliant, fine, move on. We clap. She's fine. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, we, we clapped. It was great. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I, I kind of feel like yeah, I love that. I love that about this particular episode. It, and it does give me goosebumps. It makes me cry. And then he does the wobbly giraffe dance, and I really love it a <laughs> that lot. Be the full time. <laughs> One day I will get Liz to show you her version of it. It's amazing. Um, yeah, we need to see this. Giraffe Drunk a Giraffe is a great dance move and it is performed at weddings by my wife um, in Tweed, no less. And so it's a very Smith-esque experience for all. But yeah, um, I think this that episode is the finest season finale of the Smith era for me. I, I, I can't argue with you. I absolutely agree. In fact, no, I, I can't argue with you. I don't want to. I absolutely agree. And we have two more Smith, Smith era finales to occur. But that one's the first is still the best. Yes. No question. Absolutely no question. So from there we get a really, really delightful Christmas special, I think. Uh, I really hate A Christmas Carol. <laughs> Why did they put Catherine Jenkins in Doctor Who? Can anyone tell? I, I, I didn't catch that. Why did they put Catherine Jenkins in Doctor Who? Like, first... Oh, yeah. Morgan, and then uh, Catherine Jenkins. Like, were they trying to alienate the fan base to a degree that they... Mm-hmm. There are bits. There are bits that I like. I, I think I'm with Reggie on this one because the thing is, I don't like Dickens. So already from the offset, I'm not on board with the. I hate this episode, Alice. I can't bear it. I think it's terrible. Um, 
I'm not a fan. It's, <laughs> it's I think yeah. I think it's the worst Christmas special. It's truly bad. Like um, truly bad. I know that a lot of I know there are other Christmas specials that a lot of people don't like. But, my case, but and I, I know is... we were very hard on the last doctor, uh, the next doctor, sorry, and we were right to be so. But this is worse. Uh, yeah, I think it actually is. I'd rather have Steampunk Cyberman than Space Fish. I thought the Space Fish were the best thing about the whole episode. Yeah, mm. actually, so did I, but I'd still rather have Steampunk. It was just... Do you know what? Like so many episodes that I hate, like Kill the Moon, like the one in season 10 that we won't name, it could have been good. There were the bones of a good episode in there. There were just some really unfortunate writing choices. Yeah. And some really unfortunate... I don't know whether they're directing choices or acting choices, but either way, they were unfortunate. That, for me, just make the whole thing annoying. I wasn't even... I would rather have been bored by it. I was annoyed by it. And I don't like being annoyed by Doctor Who. Kept her in a box and got her out once a year for his own joy. Yeah, um... <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the lesson, it seems to me the lesson that he learns at the end is that he can't treat people like toys, which is a good lesson to learn. Yeah. But Doctor enabled him in doing that. Yeah, the, the premise, the premise. There are lots of ways to execute that yeah. message. The way it was done here, the premise that, yeah, I mean, to use this as an example, we've the idea that you've got a rich, obsessed, entitled old man who is keeping a living, breathing human woman in a box to take out every Christmas to play with, which is effectively what he's doing. So creepy. Uh, now, if, you, if you're going to tell a horror story about that, I'm on board. Yeah. If, if he's the villain, I'm on board. Yeah. If we're supposed to be appalled and disgusted at it, not a problem. But if in some way I'm supposed to feel sympathy for him and not her, I don't work for me at all. I cannot make that work. It's all kinds of creepy and it's all kinds of wrong and it's absolutely the wrong message to be putting in Doctor Who. At Christmas, no less. At Christmas. The, the payoff, that his redemption is he takes her out of the box long enough for her to die. <laughs> That's not how that should work either. Nope. So I don't mind them using the trope. I mind them using it the way they used it. I, I, some more thought would have been better, Definitely. I think. Definitely. And, you know, more of the fish and less of that. Yes. More space fish chases, space piranhas, like anything other than that. Yeah, literally this is the anything. One thing, this is the one thing where I'm like, let the space fish be the enemy, please. Yeah. I would love it. Let's have jaws in space. Yeah. Let's have anything but what we were given. Well, actually, it'd be Sharknado, wouldn't it? Because it's flying sharks. I'm up, I'm up <laughs> to Doctor Who doing Sharknado. I've seen Sharknado now. It's every bit as awful as I thought it was going to be. In fact... This is what lockdown is doing to me. Wasn't this weekend, it must have been the weekend before. On the horror channel, there was a film called Six Headed Shark Attack. <laughs> in oh which uh, a mindfulness commune was attacked by a shark with six heads, which could walk up the beach because it used four of its six heads as legs. <laughs> if you ever get a chance, just watch it. It's. It's one of the worst films I've ever seen, and I enjoyed every single second of it. It was great. And if wow. they want to do that in Doctor Who, I'm on board. <laughs> Links in the show notes, folks, if I can find them. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> it, it was a thing of beauty. Wow, there's there's like McDonald's as a film, and then there's like an old wimpy that you found under a sofa left from the 80s, and that's what that is. No, Six Headed <gasps> Shark Attack is definitely a four-day-old kebab. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Jesus. That you've just picked up off the floor. Oh. That's Six Headed Shark Attack. That's amazing. 
with absolutely no apologies to all the people involved in the production of Six-Headed Shark Attack. I'm sure you take your work very seriously, but no. Um, shall we move on to something that was actually good? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. The Impossible That's... Astronaut. Yeah, definitely. The Impossible Astronaut is a hell of a series opener. Isn't it? Wow, wow, wow. It yeah. just brings everything into massively confusing, sharp focus. Yes, doesn't it? And the Doctor is suddenly older for some reason, and Jim the Fish has been done, and she escapes from jail, which, you know, River Song, her escapes are always a great joy to me. And Rory and Amy get post, and all of that brilliance those envelopes all of that moment to begin with and then an astronaut walks out of the sea and walks out of the lake shoots the shoots doctor, the doctor. and then they have to burn the body because a man drives up in a truck and tells them to yeah that as an opener yeah it's like a what yeah uh, do you know what in an effort not swear wtf I uh, like i think i screamed uh, a lot and benny walks out of the toilet in the back of a diner three minutes later and suddenly i love that diner i love that diner too will of course one day become clara's tardis and uh, he's in cardiff yeah i keep meaning to go to cardiff just so i can go to that diner we should all go together for a trip after all when this, this is all over when this is all over we should go on a sabbatical to cardiff absolutely we can go see yanto shrine then as well that'd be great oh gosh that'll be glorious but yeah I, I love that. I love that whole thing. Sudden realization that this is a different doctor. Yeah. And Amy just absolutely flipping her shit is spectacular. No, the it, whole thing. Is... Karen Gillan gets to really show her chops in episode one. Yeah, this is. I think this is the episode where I was kind of sitting. I would. I would have been watching it quite late at night because I'd have been watching it on the iPlayer, and I, I remember sitting there and sort of leaning back on the sofa and thinking, "Oh, she's going to be a massive star." Because up to this point, you know, Amy in the first series was very one-note, I mm. felt, to be honest. And, I mean, she was brilliant. That Raggedy Man speech, like you say, at the end, is phenomenal. It's, it's brilliant. I think that might um, have been the first hint of what was to come. And then this, literally, within the first ten minutes, she blows it all away. It's stunning. Yes, yeah. absolutely stunning. And, yeah, it is. It, like you say, it's that moment where you just go, wow, God, she's bloody good, isn't she? Um, and I, I love that. And, and this whole episode, then, where they go back in time, find the uh, impossible astronaut... And they have the invisible TARDIS and the silly hijinks and the, uh, the use of Mark Shepard, who is a geek favourite. Oh, yes. Mark Shepard is in every single franchise at this point, I think. I'm sure he's been in everything. Uh, let's see. He's done Star Trek. Supernatural. He's done Supernatural. He's done Doctor Who now. He's done... Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar Galactica. He's done Firefly. Yeah. Any, any... Um, I was, um, I'm sure you guys are aware of this, but... You, do you know that um, his dad played the old version of him? No, I think that's lovely. I, I did not know that. that, and that's brilliant. Uh, Mark Shepard's dad, William Morgan Shepard, who's also an actor. It's on the IMDb. I see it. I see it now. And, uh, yeah, he plays the old version of him. That's so great. That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, you might as well. I mean, if you if, if there is to be an older version of that person's character, and if your parent also happens to be an actor why not <laughs> yeah i i really love this um he's he's in everything i think it's great to give him a little shout just to point that one out because they he finally got himself into doctor who doing this as, as canton canton delaware and of course we have the introduction of the silent oh yeah, yeah. and we sort of then roll as a day of the moon yeah absolutely um and and we get 
Stuart Milligan as uh, Nixon, and then we get the, all the body bags, and just it just keeps going, you know. Yeah, it's absolute. It, it, it goes from this what seems like okay, here you've got the doctor's dead. What the hell? Here's the doctor. Oh, we've gone back in time. We're looking for this, and then suddenly they're facing an insurmountable enemy that they can poss- they can never possibly overcome and there's a strange woman with an ipad just sliding a hole in space and looking in at them mm. oh madden kavorkian really freaked me out yeah but it's also the in day of the moon it's also the tally marks yeah oh, oh marks. yeah yeah that was the thing in the palm and all that because stuff. right at the start and of the episode they're not explained and you genuinely don't know what's going on and it's so confusing and that 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 confusion actually works yeah oh yeah and and that you, you've already seen the thing with the silent and the fact that they can't you can't remember them because Amy's tried, she's taken a picture. She, she goes and sees her in the toilets in the White House. And there's that woman going, is that a Star Trek man? And looking at the guy until he turns the silent, he then murders her. And Amy walks out and completely forgets it instantly. And that mm. whole thing is just so brilliant as a concept. And it instantly introduces you and you understand exactly what's going on. And yeah. you, the audience, know something the characters do not. Yeah. And that becomes terrifying for you, the audience. And I love that. I love it when they do stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. No, abs- absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Also has my favourite ending scene of... I don't, I don't know if it's the absolute final scene. I think it is, actually. Uh, Mark Shepard's interview with Nixon at the end. It's not the final scene, but yes. Not, yeah, that one's brilliant. I, it's just my favourite. and it's, I, you know, I, I very much like to get married, but it, it's difficult. This person you want to marry... Yes. I know what people think of me, but perhaps I'm a little more liberal. He is. I think the moon is far enough for now. Don't you, Mr. Delaware? I figured it might be. I just... I actually applauded, I think. I I just thought it was such a a brilliant bit of of just dropping a thing in there because you can. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's nice. Do you know what I quite like about that as well? Is that it wasn't like I I think the step forward is to not make a big song and dance about it Absolutely. or have a coming out scene unless the narrative demands it, unless it's there is at least narrative sense for there to be that scene. Yeah. I think just to drop it in like that, you know, I it's think kind casual of gayness is important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's but just it's, casually characters casually just being gay. It's also it's 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 sort of established. As opposed to being seriously gay, just casually gay. Just like, you know, rather than ha- having to have that massive coming out scene and making the entire character about their sexuality, I like yeah, that there are it, characters like this that just go, Yeah, gay and Mark Mark Shepard's yeah. character's sexuality is irrelevant mm-hmm. to Most everything that happens apart from that kind of conversation. Yeah. And you know, and it was it, it was just I, I I like the way they, they did it just because just to briefly quote Kazima from Orphan Black, my sexuality is the least interesting thing about me. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I think that's the case with a lot of characters um, in television. And it, I mean, it, it should be the case with more characters in television. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we live in a world where it's it's kind of established that it's ridiculous that people of different ethnicities couldn't get married in parts of the United yes. States. So you flagged that, that, you flagged that that was a thing up. Yeah. And then you link it to something that's equally ridiculous, but was at the time controversial. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, but, but, but that not those two people not being able to get married is also clearly ridiculous. Yeah. And, you know, and you didn't need to. And again, Chris Chibnall might, might want to take note of this. He didn't need a big speech. He didn't need a lecture. It was just there. It was just self-evident. It made its, it's point. Is this another thing that I've got to look forward to? Yeah. Or about 
Yeah. I, I also like to point out that this was in 2011 that they made this season. So it was predating uh, the possibility of, of marriage. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Was it? Did it predate? Did it predate the possibility of of equal marriage in um, the whole of the U.S. or had some states cottoned on by then? Because I know, like California and Oregon and places, were a little bit. My history of the U.S. and gay marriage is not that hot. I'm afraid I'm English. If I remember, <laughs> if I that's a fair point. If I remember, I will look it up and stick stick the answer in the show notes just because I'm interested. Yeah. I mean, do because uh, I, I can't remember. I remember California got theirs taken away. Oh, they did, didn't they? Yeah, I remember that. So that wasn't pretty. But yeah, um, so I think that yeah, it was good. I I think the last episode, the last moment, however, was the regeneration of the child. Of course, yes. So you realise that the ast- the child in the astronaut suit is actually of some variety, uh, some flavour of time, time lord, time lordy, timey wimey, weirdy weirdy. <laughs> Who could they be? I wonder. I can't imagine. <laughs> can't imagine. <laughs> Definitely an interesting one. Um, the episode that follows that. <laughs> now I'm unusual here. I really like Curse of the Black Spot, but my reasons for liking it are unbelievably shallow. You like pirates. I like pirates, and I think Amy looks fantastic in that hat. I like pirates. Um, I don't hate this episode. I think there's a lot of good things about it. I think it's hilarious that you feel a doxy. Um, I am not... Again, this is one of those really special moments where um, they decided, in, in their infinite wisdom, to use Lily Cole as a character it's like this is this the the point at which they just thought let's just throw random celebrities at doctor who and see what happens yeah yeah and it's like please stop i'm begging whenever i see lily cole in something as well and again this is somebody who i just have a very irrational don't like them sort of feelings towards them but lily cole is one of those people i just i don't understand why people keep casting her and stuff well i do understand it's because she's pretty and she's a model um but i i want them to stop can't act i i literally can think of this and like the imaginarium of dr parnassus and that's yeah okay that's the only things i can think of her being in i think what, the, only thing, cast the only thing i've seen her in apart from this which means my only reference point for her um, I, I don't think it's going to shock anyone who's ever seen me that I don't <laughs> really follow fashion. Um, the only the only frame of reference I had for her when I saw her in this was she was in a Marks and Spencer's advert. <laughs> so I didn't I didn't know who she was. I, I mean, I knew she was a model because I figured she'd been in a Marks and Spencer's advert modelling stuff. So clearly, yeah. model. Um, she's not bad in Imaginarium. Um, but I, I, I couldn't quite work out why they'd cast somebody who clearly was not an actor. And the reason that it was clear that she was not an actor is <laughs> at no point does she act. <laughs> she just uh, she just stand there just this. And, and, it's just crap. They could have just CGI'd you know something is, in. This is, yeah. quite a, this is quite a boorish thing for me to say. Um, but if she was cast simply because... Siren's supposed to be impossibly attractive. 
it wasn't worth the act the compromise of the acting talent because she's not I that attractive. Agree. She's not attractive I enough. I know that sounds awful, but like no, it's nothing against her. But like, if they're trying to create some like the most beautiful creation in the history of the world as a siren, right? And they've got the opportunity to do it this way that I am now going to describe because of the nature of the storyline. They could have CGI'd a stunningly beautiful, attractive woman who would have functioned perfectly well, performing the exact same role as Lily Cole does because she has no acting to actually do, and because <laughs> they have to CG her so much in the first place for it to function. And it would have made sense because the point is that it's not real. It's an AI doctor. Yeah. Like, so it, it was a yeah. waste of budget on yes. an actor that they did not need to waste the budget on. Yeah. No offense to the girl, but my God, it was pointless. It, it, yeah. It, yeah. It, it, Agreed. it seemed like an odd decision to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it looked good on a trailer and that was it. That's why they yeah. did it. How do you think? That's pretty yeah. sad. That's even shallower than me. And I think that that was the era of who that we were in. They were like, okay, I know, let's put a famous person in this episode so that we can make the trailer look good. And I just really feel like they were selling, not necessarily out, but they were selling. They were in the selling who must be sold, but this is a product stage. Because I'll know. tell you what, it, I'll tell you what it, it, it put me in mind of, and this may be a term that Alice, or you might not have heard it either, actually, Hat, but Alice, I suspect you might not have. Uh, John Nathan Turner, who was the... Um, executive producer or the senior producer on Doctor Who in the 80s, 70s mm-hmm. and 80s, when in the time of the fourth Doctor, they introduced Leela as a companion. Do either of you know Leela? She's the Australian. No. Oh, pre, pre her. No idea. Uh, Leela was the barbarian, savage kind of woman. Oh, God, no, I do remember her. Played by, beautifully played by Louise Jameson. I witnessed that I just facepalmed as hard as I could at the <laughs> concept of Leela. Um, well, the whole point of Leela was she didn't wear any clothes yeah she wandered around in hats on a scale of from mild annoyance to incandescent range where will i be if i ever witness this person on screen incandescent range and the concept incandescent rage and actually at 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 the character herself once she was established um i think you'd quite like leela i quite like leela uh but you'd be incandescent at the concept and no, I, I trust Hat more on this one because she knows what enrages me. John, John Nathan Turner actually said that, bearing in mind that this is a t- an era when uh, Doctor Who went out on a Saturday tea time, uh, John Nathan Turner actually said that the character of Leela was, and I quote, something for the dads. Oh, boy. And that's what, that's what What's-A-Face in the black spot put me in mind of. It was like, you are here purely as eye candy. So the... Pick more attractive eye candy. And I hate it. I hate it so much. See, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's necessarily even an eye candy thing because James Corden is put in there. He wasn't put in there for the mums. Um, you know, it's... No, like James Corden had... was put in there for the lads. Yeah, right. So you've got Corden and you've got... Who else? Oh, then we've got a, a Christmas special, Catherine Jenkins. And now we've got Lily... Lily Cole. Lily Cole. And it's just like, okay, so we've had three in relatively quick succession of random celebrities that they've put in to attract a different demographic to Doctor Who for no good reason because actually it's doing fine without them. And that, you know, I'm not one of these people that's like, oh no, only a true fan must watch this. It's a case of like, if you feel the need to pull these stunts to attract an audience, then perhaps you're not, you're not actually producing the show that you should be producing. 
You know? That would be my take on it, yeah. If, if you want to attract people who don't currently watch the show, make a good show. Yeah. And mm-hmm. its audience will find it. If, if you need to, to constantly... I mean, the occasional gimmick... They didn't need to. The only time that they've successfully done that is in cast somebody for the sake of attracting a different audience is with Matt's Lucas, but we're jumping ahead here. We are, and I agree. Um, That's the only time I think they actually did that successfully. We'll get to Nardal. We will talk, but I will explain myself in more detail when we reach that point. So, Um, Black Spot, Pirates are great. I like the concept of her coming through any reflective surface. I think that's brilliant. Like, there was some really great, like, conceptually, I like it a lot. I just think that they did the thing they shouldn't have done. Um, Again. I love pirates. I'm really deeply into the idea of pirates and pirates in space a lot. I'm really, Absolutely. Really I'm right there with you. Uh, and I'm, as I say, very much appreciating Amy Pond in that hat. I love the whole thing of her being a pirate as well, just like and actually fighting people and having a go at people. And they're like, she's like, "Come on, you pirates!" And it's yeah. a tiny little scratch. And then the next minute, he's black spotted, and that's that. Yeah. Um, but generally speaking, it's not a particularly strong episode. And I think um, it's best if we move on again. <laughs> uh, and shall we actually? Because oh my goodness, I love <gasps> the, doc- the doctor's wife. Oh my god, is perfection. Oh another episode um that i just absolutely loved especially and it's because of the performance of just a one episode appearance suzanne jones is Saran, phenomenal you know what look dyslexic and terrible at names me too. Um, I just happen to know hers really well because she is brilliant in everything. Um, I I loved her in um, in uh, uh, Scott and Bailey. I thought she was phenomenal in that. Mm-hmm. And coming from Scott and Bailey to this, I was like, because that's the only frame of reference I had. I was sort of wondering how on earth she was going to fit into it, and I didn't really get it. And then she blew me away. Yeah, as the as the embodiment of the TARDIS. Yes. Yeah. And there's so much that I mean, I'm a massive fan of Neil Gaiman. I think this might be one of the best things he's ever written. Um, I think he really benefited from the constraints of having to fit within the mythos of something he didn't create. Because I sometimes find with Gaiman that he, he sort of goes off a little bit into flights of fancy and says lovely a lot. And he couldn't do that here. And I think it really tightened him up. But he's still Neil Gaiman. So he took this mythos and then did something completely out of the box with it. And just the whole concept of the TARDIS as a person, I just loved. Got some of my favourite one-liners in it. <laughs> when Amy first meets Idris. So, she's the TARDIS and the woman. Did you wish really hard? <laughs> Did you wish really hard? Yeah, that's brilliant. I, it's my favourite line in the whole of Who. I just love it. Fighting, it's like kissing, but there's a winner. Yeah. <laughs> it's another great one. She has some really good lines. It, it is, yeah, she has some great lines. And, and yeah, when, uh, just so much of it's great. Like when they go into the TARDIS um, as well. So it's the stuff that happens aside from what happens with the Doctor and the TARDIS yeah. situation. 
is excellent. Um, Rory and Amy going insane in a deranged. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. It's pure horror. It's I was going to say, it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic horror story. It's a um, there's, a, there's a line when they're in the graveyard of TARDISes and uh, they're sort of building a console out of bits of dead TARDIS. Yeah. And Idris sort of says, so basically I'm building a thing out of the corpses of my dead friends or something like that. And it's, yeah. it's, ah. Oh. I love the, her non-linear, her non-linear, her non-linear scripting. Mm. Yes. Because her lines make sense later. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that. I think that's a really, that's just great. Cause like she'll say stuff and none of it makes sense until it makes sense. Um, and I, I, I really enjoyed that idea because she exists because the TARDIS in and of itself exists outside of time. Yeah. And I, I kind of love that distillation into something that can speak. I think that's really great. But then also just some tweaks to the general, the general mythos of, you know, she says that, He's the Time Lord that she stole, yeah. <laughs> and 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 just little bits like that. I, I I just loved all of that as well because that actually sets up. I mean, clearly not deliberately. It's been picked up and run with since, but that sets up things that happen later in subsequent seasons with subsequent Doctors, which we'll perhaps talk about when we get there. Um. Hmm. So it's the, the whole thing, it's so beautifully creepy. It's, it's so beautifully gothic. It's so beautifully Neil Gaiman. What do you love most about it, Alice? Just Saran... Uh, Saran Jones. Just her performance, for me, was just the highlights. In fact, it was the... Well, I loved all of it, but that was the thing that just... Just how just she just gave a great performance uh, as somebody who is just if, if a TARDIS was ever a person, it would be Saran Jones, <laughs> just all over the place and just so beautifully scatty and yeah, just and how and the fact that they wrote her in a way that that it could have gone in so many different ways of wrong uh mm. it it could have like oh yeah like really leaned into the the tar- oh, uh, this is the tardis and oh shock horror it's a woman could have really leaned into the potential sexism of that um and it didn't uh because it was written by neil gaiman um i'm attributing it to that <laughs> so yeah. Uh, what impresses me is that there are so many male writers out there that could have really ballsed it up and could have made this the worst episode because of that, but it didn't. This is what I mean by you take a trope or narrative or a concept and the execution can be just really, really all the different ways of bad um, when the 
answer to your your issue here was staring you right in the face. <laughs> mm. and, they, and that didn't happen, though, which is what makes me unbelievably happy. Because um, they, they gave us such a glorious episode. And again, also the, the journey that um, Rory and Amy go on is terrifying as hell. <laughs> Just... Again, we couldn't have gotten that without um, from anyone other than Neil Gaiman. So actually, that's the other thing I love about this episode is Neil Gaiman's writing. But then again, that's almost a guarantee if if he's going to be involved, not even in the writing, but just in any in any aspect. If 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 Neil Gaiman is involved, then it's going to be good. See, I'm not actually that big of a fan. Okay. But I, of, of him generally but I do particularly love this episode I think it's phenomenal and I think mm-hmm. it is again like you say it's something only he could have written um, yeah. I love so many elements of it that are you know the the horror the um, finding the way back to the Tyler's console room the saved console room which we haven't seen in a while which was quite nice mm-hmm. to go back there um, and the psychic lock <laughs> so everyone learnt the word petrichor <laughs> And it has never really left anyone's vocabulary, I think, after that point. And I think that's kind of... This episode gave a lot to the community of, of Hoobians <laughs> um, in that respect. And I, I really do. I love it a lot. When she says at the end, you know, at the end of it, when Dr. she says I, uh, one word, a very important word, and he says goodbye, and she says hello. Um, and oh, I just, yes. That was beautiful. It was stunning. Yeah. Um, absolutely beautifully written I, I really loved that moment i think it was lovely and actually do you know what i don't think we could they could have given that role to anyone other than saran jones because i think she just gave again again just another fantastic performance i can't really think of anybody else that could have pulled it off other than her i mean the performance that i've seen her in which has blown me away other than this one is Gentleman Jack. She's phenomenal. She mm. is amazing in that. So yeah, so yeah, I don't think anybody else could have written this episode other than Neil Gaiman, and I don't think anyone could have given this performance other than Saran Jones. In a lot of ways, this episode is the absolute polar opposite of the Curse of the Black Spot. Yes, and that it shows mm-hmm. you it shows you how brilliant things can be when you actually get them right. Because mm-hmm. I. I I honestly don't think that there isn't a single miss in this. It was the right cast. It was the right writer with the right story at the right time. The, the, the design is great. The direction is great. Everything just slots in and you get this. It is good. I love that. I think that it's paced really well. The, um, the cuts between happening with the doctor and Idris and what's happening with, um, Rory and Amy. There's a really nice balance there. Well, cause that could be easily got wrong. But yeah, I think it's a, a standout. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. And then we get goop. Ugh. Rebel flash. Mm-hmm. <sighs> oh, Reg. <laughs> I I'm trying to remember now this episode. It's a two parter. It's the Rebel Flash and then the Almost People. The It's the one with the fake people that um, that can be dissolved and you you can you can use them as avatars so that you oh, can gangers. Yeah. Okay. As in doppelganger. And they turn out they turn out yes, to actually be alive. It's all coming back to me now. Yeah. Flash avatars. It, and it's important and it's necessary for the plot. Did it have to be a two-parter? Well, 
And also, I'm sorry, but again, this is an example of when you have a really good idea, but you get it wrong. It's a beautifully, gorgeously, wonderfully creepy idea. Yeah. It literally makes skin crawl. And the examine, the way they use it to examine the concept of slavery and personhood and yeah. what, what gives you human rights kind of thing. Great, brilliant, fantastic. But then they did this. They made yeah. these two episodes, and I hate them. <laughs> they're, they're, they're not great. And I can't, I can't put my finger on why exactly they're so Do bad. Do you know what? Do you know what, though? And jumping on my usual happy little bandwagon, I think they're a beautiful monster. I think the way they do it is excellent. That translucency, that an uncanny ballet weirdness. Oh, they're a the gorgeous design. Yeah, they're a like gorgeous design. But being you thing. I think that's really, really well done. And I, um, in order to creep you out and make you feel a little bit like shuddery, I think it's really, really well done. I just think narratively it's kind of... Yeah, well, I, you know, and it didn't need to be. That's, the, that, that's my big... I mean, it's Frankenstein, basically. Just, yeah. like, just like in Frankenstein, the creature isn't the monster. The creator of the creature is the monster. Yeah, and even then, not really. And and you know yeah. what? That was pulled True, off. But, yeah. That was beautifully pulled off two hundred and fifty years ago by a seventeen-year-old girl. <laughs> and yet, the scriptwriters of these two episodes couldn't get anywhere near it. Mary Shelley was a particularly uh, wonderful human being, though, wasn't she? She was. And such the gothic queen that we all deserve. But ultimately, <laughs> if you're going to rip off Mary Shelley, you, it's it well. kind of incumbent on you to do it well. Because if you don't do it mm-hmm. well, it'll really show. Like this did. Like, this really did. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, the cold open was kind of tidy. I liked the whole idea of, like, he falls into the acid and they're like, oh, no. Oh, oh God. I guess it's like, oh, oh, see you, I'll, see, well I'll see you back there kind yeah. of thing. And yeah. That was, like, a really nice cold open. And if we'd had, like, one episode, that would have been great. But we did. We had two. I think, and, I think. And the creepy girl that was, like, obsessed with Rory, I was just, like, cringe. Um, yeah. I didn't like it. I just, it did, it felt really unnecessary. I understood why the doctor wanted to figure, he wanted to know whether Amy could tell which one he was, and he wanted to know what it felt like, and I, he had to know that to figure out that Amy was made of this goop stuff and not actually a real person. He had to know that, and I get that, but did it really need to take two episodes of? No, it needed to be a one-parter. Of not right that good distended jaw CGI mm. with. I think- it's like the makeup effects, the practical effects were excellent. And some of the CG that was done was excellent. And then some of the CG was just, it, it would have been not out of place in series two. No, series three of Doctor Who. New, new Who. Mm. You know, it was really poorly done. And I'm just like, okay, maybe don't. Yeah, I, I, I think ultimately somebody in the production team, maybe Moffat himself, who knows, thought this was a lot better than it actually was. Yeah. I think is the problem. You know, oh, a child's birthday. Oh, I don't know. The efforts to humanise them were just really weak, honestly. And They did a much better job of humanising the Ood. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And the Silurians. And the Silurians, yeah. <laughs> um, I think the mistake they probably, I think they made, and I'm just trying to think off the top of my head here, what they could have done to tweak this, because I think with a few tweaks here and there they could have made it work and i just thinking off the top of my head the mistake they made was turning this into a horror 
narrative rather than one where I think what they could have done is they could have ha- already had the gangers there and there could have been the confusion as to, oh, wait, there's two of you. What's going on here? So, oh, that's a ganger. And they're basically treated like slaves, essentially, or less than human because they are the copy if that mm. makes sense. Yeah. And what these two episodes, if it was going to be a two-parter or just the one episode, could have been about engaging with, right, okay, what defines a person and what, and also engage, um, interrogates the whole issue of slavery, essentially. Yeah. My personal feeling would be a way of doing that that actually really making sure it was much more impactful would make it a comical farce and then have that as the undertone. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. you can take yeah. that, because having two of people lends itself to comedy in such a brilliant way and i yeah. think building a ridiculous farcical comedy and then having that undertone slapping yeah. everyone in the face at the end yeah. would have been much more effective than what they actually did that would have been um, so much better yeah i, I just think hence, like, why I just, hence why i said that taking the whole turning it into a horror narrative was yeah. the completely yeah. wrong way to go and and having one of them uh, there's no there's no wrong there's nothing wrong with having one of the the gangers being wanting to fight the humans there's nothing inherently wrong with that but the way they went about it made you just actually hate her to a degree that Mm-hmm. you couldn't sympathise with that character. It was impossible mm. to do so. And if you're making a character that's meant to be in any way sympathetic, well, you have to make it possible to sympathise with her. Because it's framed in the way of a horror and she's the monster. Yeah. And the way that she goes about it under that narrative is yeah. therefore you can't sympathise with her. because and then, they, and then they have the good versions, the good gangers, you know, and then you get into that whole model minority bullshit and it's just like, wow, no, let's not. Because then you're... Yeah. you're uh, this, this whole... It's separating them into like... Like the good ones who are doing as they're told and the bad ones who are fighting against it's like wow you really went the whole arsed wrong way about this whole narrative well i mean this is going to come up in a future episode that we're not naming yet but if you're going to do a story about people <laughs> fighting for their right don't make the people who are fighting for their this rights the, the bad episode guys. that shall not be named until yes yeah the bubble wrap episode I yeah yeah mm. don't, don't make the people who are fighting for their rights the bad guys and the, the oppressors the good guys. Don't do Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Just don't do that. I think you need to tell me what the name of the episode is. No, You'll know so, when you get there. Alice, I feel like you need to suffer like we did. <laughs> well, no, I'm only saying this is because I think I need to have a bottle of wine on standby. <laughs> or a bottle of whiskey, perhaps, just to get me through it. Shall we skip on? Let's go to A Good Man Goes to War. Yep. Okay. Actually, I don't okay. want to take up everybody's time. We've been at this nearly two hours. Shall we finish there and... Yeah. And start on a high point, at least it's a high point for me, next time. And so, we will leave it there. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Full show notes, including an awful lot of video clips, are available at destinationvenus.co.uk. Just click on the blog section and look for the title of this episode. Which is, did you wish really hard? Because it is, without question, my favourite line in the whole. While you're there, you might also want to check out something I'm doing as part of the shop side of things. Uh, As you know, Destination Venus is a comic store. We are currently closed because we're based in the cinema and the cinema is closed. Um, One of the things I'm doing while we're closed, is something called the Daily Waffle. Normally I do a little thing on a Wednesday called the Wednesday Waffle. This has now been daily for 53 days. 
it was originally intended to be a way of making sure people knew what comics were coming in, what was going on, when things could be expected. The way this whole situation has gone means that there's been none of that to report for quite a while. So what the waffle has morphed into is me sharing entertainment with you. Uh, stuff I found on YouTube, whole series uh, I've recommended on there, uh, from Star Cops to Robin of Sherwood. I found the stuff on YouTube, put the links in so you don't have to spend time looking for it. And if you are still stuck in lockdown and you need something to do, the waffle is there to help. As and when there are breakthroughs in what's going on in the world of comics, that news is going in there as well. Uh, and it's just, you know, it's just a, a little thing that may also keep you entertained. You might want to check it out. As I say, all of that available at destinationvenus.co.uk. Um, just click on the blog section and you'll go straight there. OK, so that is everything. Uh, we are out of here. Thank you again for your kind attention. We'll be back next week with more geeky goodness for your ears. Until then, be kind to yourselves, be kind to everybody else, and above all else, stay safe, practice social distancing. We can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Please don't let it be an oncoming train. We're nearly there, guys. We've done so much already. Let's not mess it up now. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Geeks at the Gate podcast. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash geeks at the gate. Or contact us on Twitter at geeks at the gates. Or contact us by email on mail4geeksatthegates at gmail.com. That is the number four, not the word. Geeks at the Gates is a production of Venus Rising Media and is proudly made in Yorkshire.